0: His word burns in my heart like a fire. We are longing for the promised hope, but for many of us, that hope feels elusive. But incarnation is not just the Christmas story. To look at Jesus, the prophet, priest, and king. good to be with you all today. Today we are starting a series on Advent, and we want to realize that um, for many of you, uh, you are entering finals week, and so we want to be praying for you throughout the week, praying for you to have both clear heads to be able to study and to process information, but also a sense of peace. Um, God has... Given you these opportunities to study and to stretch and to to learn, Um, but he has also, um, he he wants to be present in the moment. And Ralph's bringing my glasses. Thank you, Ralph. Last week I had trouble seeing my notes, and so here we go. Uh, Today, we begin a three-week series around Advent, and uh, technically, Advent began last week, and it will be a, a four-week run-up to Christmas, so um, this is our version of that. We're doing a three-week series on Advent the word Advent is derived from the Latin word adventus. Um, Ralph, you want to put that on the screen there? Adventus, it means coming or arrival, which is a translation from the Greek word parousia, which is a term used for the second coming of Jesus and the restoration of all things. And so Advent just isn't just a synonym for the Christmas season. It means waiting with expectancy for Jesus. And it involves both a looking back and an anticipation of what will be. So there are similarities between the present reality that we're in and the reality that Israel found themselves in, both during the Assyrian captivity 700 years before Jesus and the... uh, Babylonian exile, 600 years before Jesus. For the Jews in exile, there was a looking back, excuse me, at God's miraculous rescue from Egypt and his ongoing provision and calling and promises, even in the midst of some incredible hardship presently. And there was also a looking ahead toward the coming Messiah who would rescue and establish his kingdom. So too, even as we think about Advent, as we think about this Christmas season, we look back to the incarnation of Jesus and all that Jesus did and taught and promised. And we also look ahead to his return and the fullness of his eternal kingdom. But we are also aware of the present moment that feels out of sorts, the present moment that is filled with difficulty and suffering and numbness. We are longing for the promised hope, but for many of us, that hope feels elusive. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. In the song we sing at Christmas, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel who mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Emmanuel means God with us. Incarnation means God putting on flesh and blood and dwelling with us. Remember how Jesus came to earth in helplessness, in weakness, in total dependency. But incarnation is not just the Christmas story. It's not just the birth of Jesus. It is the whole scope of the life and ministry of Jesus. Remember how Jesus walked on the earth, experiencing poverty and loneliness and rejection, taking on the limitations of humanity in order to rescue humanity. And as we talk about Jesus, it's not just the gospel, but it is the whole scope of Scripture. Remember that he is on the opening and closing pages of Scripture, but he is also the thread throughout. It's not just in the timeline of history, but the whole scope of eternity. Remember that Christ existed before the birth in a stable in his kingdom had already been established, So for the past 10 weeks, we've been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, the way that Jesus is not just the way, the truth, and the life, but the way that he is on the way. His words and actions and teaching and prayer and sacrificial love. And so this Advent series is a continuation of the Jesus way, specifically looking at his identity through this trifocal lens of prophet priest King. We want to keep talking about Jesus as we once again look back at the pages of Scripture and look ahead toward his return in the new heaven and the new earth. Most of all, though, I just want us to look up. I want us to fix our gaze on the author and the perfecter, on the first and the last, the creator and the sustainer, the one who is fully God and fully man, to look at Jesus, the prophet, priest, and king. Here's our scripture for today. Revelation chapter one, verse one. John says, grace and peace to you from the one who is who always was and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. In this verse, we have Father, Son, and Spirit. We have the triune God. He says, grace and peace to you from God the Father who is, was, and is to come, past, present, and future eternal God. Grace and peace to you from the sevenfold spirit, spirit um, perfection and completion. That's what it means by the sevenfold spirit. Isaiah chapter 11, uh, Isaiah gives uh, seven word descriptions of the spirit. He says, um, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So the the perfect, the complete picture of the Holy Spirit. And grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ. And then John, the writer of Revelation, gives a further description of Jesus in the next verse. He says, he is the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He is the faithful witness. That refers to Jesus as prophet, one who proclaims the word of God, who bears witness to the glory of God. He is the firstborn from the dead. That refers to Jesus as the priest, the one who reconciles humanity back to God and who has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood. And he is the ruler of all the kings of the world, which refers to Jesus as the king of kings. So prophet, priest, and king, each word is a title but also has a role. Prophet is one who proclaims the word who brings God in his holiness, in his justice and promises to the people. A priest is one who bridges the gap between God and the people, one who um, brings uh, God to the people in their brokenness and sin and who puts them in spirit-filled family. And kings are ones who bring the reign of God and his kingdom and justice to the world. And so for the next three weeks, uh, I'd like to briefly look at each of those titles and roles for us to think about and pray about how Jesus might be inviting us and stretching us to reflect him in each of those ways. And so today's is prophet, faithful witness. In the Old Testament, the prophet was the bullhorn for God. It was one who would get Israel's attention in order to share God's word. Some, like Moses, got the message directly from God, and others, like Daniel or Joseph, interpreted dreams and visions. So tons of prophets throughout the Old Testament. Everyone from Noah to Abraham to Jacob and Joseph and Moses And Moses' sister Miriam and his brother Aaron and the 70 elders of the tribe of Israel. And Joshua and Deborah and Samuel and Nathan and even King David was considered a prophet. Well-known prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Elijah and Elisha. And not so well-known prophets like the farmer Amos or my favorite prophet name, Edo And there were even some really disobedient, selfish people who prophesied the words of God. People like Balaam or people like even King Saul in Jonah. So prophets were generally misunderstood. They were often hated. Sometimes they were put to death because of their words. Old Testament prophets would often do dramatic things to get people's attention, like Ezekiel, who was to lay on his side for 430 days to represent the number of years that Israel had been living in sin. Or when God told Ezekiel to cook his food over human waste to symbolize the hard times that Israel would face. Side note, Ezekiel talked God into using cow dung instead of human waste, so that was nice. Uh, Hosea was told to marry a rebellious, marry a rebellious prostitute as a dramatic and painful description of how the Israelites were going against God, cheating on him. Once they got the people's attention, then the prophets would share what God was saying. They would say, thus saith the Lord. And sometimes those were words of indictment, like Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. Or a call to repentance, like Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let's settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. Or words of forgiveness in pardon, like Isaiah 41 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins have been pardoned. God speaks in various ways through various people. In the Old Testament, the prophet was the mouthpiece of God to his people. They were retelling the story, reminding the people of who they were and who God was and what God had done and the promises that he had made. And they were connecting the dots between the present state that the people were in, in their their suffering or in their exile because of their sin and disobedience and idolatry, that they were experiencing the side effects of their disobedience. But also pointing ahead toward the time of restoration and renewal, of life and wholeness, pointing ahead to the promised Messiah, the, the true prophet priest, and king, whose eternal kingdom would never end. Remember, all of scripture points to Jesus. In Luke 24, Jesus, this is post-resurrection. We did this passage last spring, I think, where Jesus is walking with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they are, Downcast because they had put all of their hopes in this promised Messiah, Jesus. They thought He was the one, and yet in their minds and in their information, He had just died on the cross. And their hopes are dashed, and they don't recognize that Jesus is walking with them. And in verse 25 of Luke 24, He said to them, How foolish you are! How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Verse 44, he's with his disciples. And he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, will be proclaimed, will be prophesied to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Throughout the gospels, the people referred to Jesus not as a prophet, but as the prophet And Jesus used the title for himself and definitely filled the role and the methodology of the prophets before him. So there are some similarities between Old Testament prophets and Jesus the prophet, proclaiming God's truth and God's plans, performing signs and wonders to correspond with those words, calling people to repentance, to holiness, to fidelity, to relationship with God. Both prophets and Jesus called out hypocrisy and injustice. Both miraculously healed the sick and fed the hungry. Both painted a picture of this coming kingdom. Jesus was rejected like the prophets before him. Jesus was killed for his message like some of the prophets before him. So there are similarities, but there are also distinct differences between Old Testament prophets and Jesus the prophet. Hebrews talks about Jesus being the true and better prophet. In the Old Testament, prophets would prophesy about coming suffering and oppression and exile and separation through foreign powers because of the sin and idolatry of the Israelites, that there would be suffering because of their sin. Jesus prophesied coming judgment as well, but he took upon himself the suffering and the isolation and the rejection and the exile and the death of a foreign power of Rome in order to bring freedom to the world. Old Testament prophets were often a conduit of justice and judgment. At the cross, Jesus took our judgment that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Old Testament prophets told stories in parables to communicate and call people to repentance. Jesus told stories in parables to describe the way of the upside down kingdom and to invite people to belong. In the Old Testament, God would often tell someone, go prophesy against my people. In the New Testament, Jesus invited followers to come abide with me. Moses was the prophet, sorry, Moses the prophet was the proclaimer of the law Jesus fulfilled the law. Old Testament prophets would start a sermon with, thus saith the Lord. Jesus started a sermon with, you've heard it said, but I say. Elisha called bears to maul teenage delinquents when they made fun of his baldness. Jesus was like a lamb before its shears is silent. Jesus did not open his mouth when accused falsely and as he was led away to be crucified. The Old Testament prophets foretold of coming oppression and exile, but also renewed covenant. Jesus foretold his coming death, burial, resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the persecution of his followers, and the destruction of the temple, and his return to judge the living and the dead. A prophet brings the word, and the ways of God to humanity. In the incarnation, Jesus did exactly that to the fullest, calling people to repentance, painting a picture of renewal and restoration, but also being the catalyst in the fulfillment of those promises. So what do we do with that? Not just worship, but how are we to mimic, to reflect Jesus, the prophet? 1 John chapter 2 says, By this we know, and we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. As followers of Jesus, as the church, we are to emulate, we are to mirror, we are to echo Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. So how do we do that exactly? We often talk about this ministry as being a three-legged stool in that we are called to be people of the word, being shaped by and sharing the word of God, proclaiming his grace and truth. We are to be people of the spirit, being spiritually formed and transformed by the spirit as he bonds us together in unity. And we are to be people of justice, participating in Christ's kingdom, pushing back the effects of the fall of sin and darkness and bringing his justice and righteousness into all corners of the world. We want to be people of the word, people of the spirit, people of Justice. Those three lines mirror, mirror, prophet, priest, and king. So today, people of the word. A prophet brings God in his word to people. A prophet discerns what is true and good, and he calls out evil and injustice. A prophet is one who speaks. Praise lives, embodies, demonstrates the word of God. And here's the cool thing. Through his spirit, he has given us, church, the capacity to discern truth, 1 John 2, to admonish with the word of Christ, to instruct others, to encourage other believers, to speak the truth in love to bear witness to the truth of Jesus to unbelieving friends, to live in such a way that people will ask questions and to answer those questions with wisdom and grace. There is an assumption that the word of God will dwell richly in us, Colossians 3.16. As we read, as we study, as we meditate, as we question in order to be able to hold out the word of God, to share it, to apply it, to live it, to embody it, to demonstrate it. The role of prophet is one who speaks, prays, lives, embodies, demonstrates the word of God, but that's not a role that is just reserved for the super spiritual or people in quote unquote full-time ministry. That's, that's you. That's us if we are Jesus' followers. Second Corinthians chapter 5. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't it cool that God has always chosen people as the conduit of his message, as his voice box, in people that were the least likely to be chosen. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. This isn't exactly a favorable time, and yet, he calls us to patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage people with good teaching. 2 second, second, second Timothy chapter 2 says, Remind the believers of these things, charging them before God to avoid quarreling over words, which succeeds only in leading the listeners to ruin. Make every effort to present yourselves approved to God and unashamed workmen, who accurately handles the word of God. Jesus says in Acts 1 that filled with the spirit, we are to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Our state of being a witness flows out of not only what Christ has done, but what he is doing. Remember, we don't only look back and we don't, only look forward, but we look presently at what he is up to. On the one hand, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Scripture is clear that there's only one foundation, one meta-narrative that is eternal and unchanging. However, our interaction with Jesus, the way that our story of brokenness is woven in and around his story of redemption, that story continues to be written and stretched and built and restored. And this is what we bear witness to. This is what we share. This is what we proclaim. This is what we embody. This is what we demonstrate in the the day-to-day, moment-to-moment of our lives. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that seems to have a connotation that extends beyond mere opinions about God. It seems to transcend passing along just information about God. And it seems like something much more exciting and purposeful than just sharing the good news out of duty when the good news actually penetrates the depths of our heart, then we can't shut up about it. In John 15, Jesus speaks of the necessity of remaining or abiding with him, which inevitably will produce fruit. It is a simple science. It is a matter of internalizing the gospel, of being wrecked by the grace of Jesus, and then expressing the truth of the word out of our own experience and interaction with Christ. John is told to eat this message, to make it a part of him becoming what he is about to say. And we too are called to speak out of what is real, not just theologically, but experientially. Converting people to Christ is not our job. It's God's job. In his sovereignty, he has chosen to love humanity in such a way that humanity can choose to love him back or not. But in our attempt to mimic the way of Jesus' love, our job has often been compared to what the writer D.T. Niles referred to as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Friends, we are called to this prophetic word. We are called to bear witness to what we have seen, what we have experienced of the goodness and faithfulness of God. In the message version, Psalm 18 says, God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I got my act together, he gave me a fresh start. Now I am alert to God's ways. I don't take God for granted. Every day I review the way he works. I try not to miss a trick. I feel put back together and I'm watching my step. God rewrote the text of my life when I open the book of my heart to his eyes. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse nine says, but if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. Lord, would you make that real for us? Would you make that the reality of our lives that it is like a fire pent up in our bones that we cannot contain? Would you save us from this sort of religious duty that brings shame and guilt to the whole idea and process of evangelism? Would you free us from that? Would you instill in us this prophetic word, this making your love known to the nation?